Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as I am recording this. Once again, later than I should be, I always procrastinate the the recording time on these episodes. I never get around to doing it early, but uh, I am doing it now. And it's going to be interesting to talk about Game 5. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I don't think that there was a lot to take from Game 4 from a logistical standpoint, from a... uh, Just from a tactical standpoint, there are some things that I definitely did, and I will uh, be taking a look at them in this first segment. But for the rest of the podcast, I kind of wanted to get away from this series a little bit. Uh, We've talked about the series a lot, and you're going to get three keys for me to game five. I'm going to talk about three things that I've that I've seen on film that I've looked at through the numbers and wanted to reiterate here. But mostly what I'm going to do is I'm going to bounce around the league a little bit, talk about the NBA at large, talk about the playoffs, what's going on in other series, and then talk about just kind of the future of the league, what I what I sort of see panning out right now, what I think is really happening, and and then maybe close on some fan stuff because I think that uh that's been a little bit too prevalent late that I I, I wanted to cover, uh, but let's start instead. Uh, with Game 5. The Nuggets, as you know, tied with the Portland Trailblazers 2-2. Two two. Game 5, generally the winner of Game 5 determines the winner of the series, especially if it's tied 2-2. Two two. It's not always the case. The Nuggets won Game 5 against the Blazers in 2019 and ultimately lost Game 6 and 7. So it is possible to win this game and lose the series. I actually think it's almost like it's almost a real possibility because of the back and forth nature of this series, what we've seen from these teams, how they can completely yo-yo, and just the lack of consistency, I think, from both squads. Uh, the Blazers, they finally started playing some defense in game four, and that may or may not continue going forward. They're going to try, but Denver's going to have their own answers, and they're going to try to use those in game five. Maybe that kind of breaks what the Portland Trailblazers do. I don't know. Denver, they're very irregular because they don't have three of their top five guards. Top four, if you want to go aggressive with PJ. Because I think that those guys are, as everybody here knows, very important. And saying anything else would be kind of disrespecting what the Nuggets would be doing with those guys in the fold. Uh, And it's too bad that we have to talk about it in those terms without uh, Will Barton again, once again in game five. Uh, that's going to be a big deal. It kind of changes my opinion on on what's going to happen in a, at least a little bit of terms. So we're gonna we're gonna talk through it. Gonna talk through some three keys here. The first one that I really wanted to point out was that the Blazers' defense in Game Four didn't have to work very hard. Two players worked hard on defense for the Blazers. Yusuf Nurkic on Nikola Jokic had a really great defensive game. And Norman Powell on Michael Porter had a great defensive game. Ball denial, getting his hands on the ball, uh, doing everything he could to inhibit Denver's progress and Michael Porter's progress from getting clean shot attempts. 
that was Denver's downfall because the Blazers were able to sort of rest Lillard, McCollum, and Robert Covington even. He was kind of the backline defender. They were able to rest those guys and didn't have to do a damn thing because Denver made it easy for them. In this time, in this game, the Blazers have to, like, the Nuggets have to get the Blazers' defense moving. Uh, the post ups, the simple DHOs, that is made really easy for a guy like Yusuf Nurkic because he's out there to bang. He's out there to be physical. He's out there to just wall off the rim, give him one direction that he has to go, and he'll do that. If Nurkic has to move in space, if he has to get moving side to side, closing out, scrambling, doing all of these rotations, when you put him in a blender, that's when the Nuggets will have their success against the Blazers' starting unit. Because if he's left to be the anchor, that's an issue because that's what he's good at. You want to get him to do something that he's not good at. This opens up way more space on drives, passes, cutting, everything that you want the Nuggets' offense to look like. Denver's offense got away from that in Game 4 because Nurkic was either parked in front of the rim or he was parked in front of Jokic. Getting Jokic some space, getting him away from Nurkic a little bit, trying to generate some switches, possibly, that would really help. Because all Nurkic wants to do is focus on Nikola Jokic. And if the Nuggets can get to a situation where they could generate a switch so that he's guarding, let's say, Aaron Gordon, all he's going to want to do is help off of Aaron Gordon. Maybe that potentially opens up some back cuts or some uh, screens or some some wedge actions of, of some sort. That would be a good way to get Nurkic involved and potentially get him into foul trouble again. It's no secret that Denver won the two games that Yusuf Nurkic got into foul trouble. It's also no secret that they should be trying to get the Blazers' defense in a blender so that they can generate catch-and-shoot threes. Here are some very fascinating numbers from this last game. The Nuggets shot 36% on catch-and-shoot threes last game. And if you're thinking, wait, no, that's that can't be right, because they shot like 25% for the game. Well, that's true, and that number is correct, because Denver shot 0% on pull-up threes last game. They don't have pull-up threats. They don't have guys that can operate in the pick-and-roll, off the dribble, even in the DHO. They don't have guys that can consistently pull up from three. Maybe Porter can do that a little bit. Maybe Monte Morris can do that a little bit. But it's not Faku's game. It's not like Marcus Howard's more of an off-ball shooter for me. It's more of a guy that comes off of screens and uh, catches on the, the spot-ups and things like that. And it's definitely not Shaq Harrison's game. So it's got to be somebody's. Maybe it's Porter's, but... Denver having, they went 0 of 9 on pull-up threes. Austin Rivers is another guy that, that could potentially do that, but you'd still want him to do catch-and-shoot threes instead. Like, I would prefer that. I think everybody would prefer that. The Nuggets, they're shooting 44% on the series in catch-and-shoot threes. 24% with pull-up threes. Work for those catch-and-shoot looks. 
get the Blazers offense or their defense moving. Get them in the blender, mix it up, make the extra pass, find the spot up guy, and trust that you're going to make the shots because you have been making the shots. Like even if Denver shot 36% from three, they'd be fine. I think they might shoot even higher than that going forward. It's just about finding the right look. Denver can do that. They just have to work for it. Number two, second key to winning game five. Defensively, Denver's guards have to be a lot better. They have to fight over pick and roll screens and DHO screens, off ball screens. They have to recover quicker and they have to close the gap between themselves and their man. The second best thing that Yusuf Nurkic does, actually, it might be the first best thing. The best thing that Yusuf Nurkic does is setting big screens. So when he sets that screen, and when he's not called for a moving pick, the Blazers' guards have so much room, and you give them an opportunity to go downhill, try to find a shot at the rim, but if not, they can all pull up from mid range. You give them Nikola Jokic on an island, and the floor spaced around him, and their man screened, after, screened half to hell. They are going to make those shots more often than not. They're going to make Nikola Jokic pay. They're going to get him into foul trouble. I think that Denver made it too easy for Dame, CJ, and Norman Powell to make good decisions in the pick and roll with the space that they were allotted. And a lot of that was the guard not being able to get through those screens. Yusuf Nurkic is a big guy, and Vaku Campazo is a, a very quick player. Monte Morris, quick enough. Uh, Austin Rivers has been pretty good. Aaron Gordon got caught on screens a lot in Game 4, and he was a big culprit here. But Vaku was also a really big culprit too. He got swallowed up by a lot of Yusuf Nurkic screens in Game 4. And it put Nikola Jokic in a really tough position defensively where you can't have him fouling out of the game so he doesn't contest shots very hard. Because of that, the Blazers were making shots and Denver could never make up the ground. I think that the Nuggets are too scared that the Blazers were going to be rejecting the screen, especially CJ McCollum, Norman Powell. Those guys, they don't reject the screen or at least they didn't do it in game four. Neither of those guys rejected the screen and went the other way for their own scoring purposes in game four. I went back and watched the tape. That's just not something that they did. What they wanted to do was they wanted to use the screen, and then they off, oftentimes they had the snake action where they, they come off the pick, and then they snake it back to the other side. They're usually coming off of a, a pick and roll to their right hand, and then they snake it back to the left. It forces Nikola Jokic to change his stance, to move his feet. And he's a guy that, if he, if he does that too much, it's going to be tough. I understand not wanting Damian Lillard to reject the screen because it gives him a free runway at the three-point line, which you don't want to give Damian Lillard that opportunity. But if you can, you have to close down the gap. That's going to prevent the Blazers' guards from getting a two-way go 
on Nikola Jokic, whether they go to the right, to the left, at the rim. Uh, it could close down the space on a pull-up jumper. Jokic already isn't a good defender in space. That's his biggest weakness. It's attacking him in the pick and roll consistently with the floor spaced as much as it is, as much as it is. Denver's going to have to find a way to guard this action two on two because they've done a good job of closing out the three point line. That's one of the things that's gone sort of under the radar as the series has gone along. The Blazers have shot pretty well, but they've shot less and made less threes over the course of the series because they're attacking the middle of the floor and Denver's not giving them the perimeter. So you don't want to make it easy for them. If you're going to play a two-on-two, you better believe that the first part of the two-on-two, whoever the guard defender is, they have to be better because Nikola Jokic isn't changing. Like He has to conserve energy for offense. He has to fight off Yusuf Nurkic for rebounds. He has to also play Yusuf Nurkic on the roll. So it's got to be the it's got to be the guard, whoever the guard is. This is why I was hoping for PJ Dozier to come back. He's probably the best at it on the team, and he's the guy that can give the best uh, rear contest because of his size. Faku's going to have to find a way to go under screens and be sneaky about it. Because sometimes he gets swallowed up by the Nurkic screen. Denver can pick and choose the spots where they go under the screen. If it forces the Blazers to take some uncomfortable threes, then that's good. However, most of the time they have to go over the top of the screen, force the Blazers off the three-point line, not give them open shots. You can surprise them every now and then, but don't get into a habit. Number three, most important. You got to trust Michael Porter Jr. The Nuggets have developed the culture that they're in. They've developed who they are, what they want to be, the players that they brought in. Because of the culture that's been established by playing those guys, especially those young, talented players, through their mistakes. I give Michael Malone a lot of credit. Even in the bubble last year, when he started Michael Porter Jr. against the Utah Jazz, and they shredded him. Porter was still on the floor in games 4, 5, 6, and 7, playing a significant role because of what he could do, because of how talented he was, and because of what he could do to change a game. Ultimately, it paid big dividends in Game 5 against the Clippers when he was out there. It's going to be tough. It's not, never easy with a guy that talented that receives so much of the attention of the defense in his first major playoff run. Because the bubble wasn't it. The bubble was a, a trial period, basically, where the Nuggets were trying to figure out who the hell Michael Porter was. Now they know who he is. They know how talented he is. He's one of the most talented shooters I have ever seen. The Nuggets cultivated this culture. Because they trusted Nikola Jokic, and they trusted Jamal Murray. They played them through their mistakes. They made them better players. Even in the clutch moments, those guys were on the floor. It would be hypocritical to not do the same with Michael Porter, especially in this situation without Jamal Murray. Porter is that talented. He is that good. He has proven it. 
and he's worked for it. He wants this, and he's willing to do the things that he needs to do in order to become a better player. I went back and looked through some other talented shooters that Porter has been compared to before, and I came to Clay Thompson and Duncan Robinson. Clay Thompson had a near identical game to Michael Porter. It was a game against the Los Angeles Clippers in their 2014 first round exit. Clay Thompson was two of four from the field, 20 points, big time minus in the plus minus category, and the Warriors lost by 40. They locked Clay down. They made it difficult for him to get off his shot. Next game out, he went 10 of 22 from the field. Bounced back, had a good opportunity there. Duncan Robinson, he's had several games like Porter. Like Porter's game four. Duncan Robinson is a shooter. Like, he's a lethal shooter. Tall guy, going to be attacked on the defensive end. I think there are a lot of comparisons there. Duncan Robinson isn't as good of a all-around offensive talent as Michael Porter is, but he is every bit of that shooter. Duncan Robinson had a lot of those games, and the Heat still stuck by him because of that talent, because of that shooting. Porter is too good to be held down. Everyone knows it. Michael Malone said as much. He also said that he has to help Porter get some better looks too. I believe in the talent. I believe in their ability to free him up for some good looks. It's going to be on Porter to knock those down. It's going to be on Porter to read what the defense gives him and then adjust. Because they're going to have some counters too. It's not going to be just the same game plan, but they are going to do one same thing. They're going to frustrate the hell out of him with physicality. They're going to grab. They're going to push. They're going to flop. They're going to do everything that they can to make it hell for him. And it's up to him to respond. The Nuggets are going to do what they can to get him the shots. He has to knock them down, but they have to trust him to do so. Everybody. Can't just be Michael Malone and the coaching staff. It has to come on the floor too. Has to be Nikola Jokic, first and foremost. He has to run plays for Michael Porter. End of story. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the rest of the league and just bounce around the NBA playoff picture. We'll be right back. But first, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, nearly limitless ways to get in on the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings too. I know you will as well. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings, they are putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free site credits. That's right. Pick any team that is still in contention. Bet $1. And if that team wins, you win $100 in free site credits. Don't forget, they also offer deals for baseball, hockey, whatever your preference is. Golf's been going on, of course. Always goes on. DraftKings, they're safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So make sure 
to download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. That is promo code MHS for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in free site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, would love if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts, if at all possible. Uh, thank you so much. Your support obviously means the world, so thank you. Let's go around the league. Let's talk about some of the playoffs that have been going on. Uh, let's start with Philly-Washington. That game happened today. Philly was up 3-0. Washington, they came back. They beat Philly to extend the series a little bit. That series is over. Uh, but one thing that did happen during that series, uh, Joel Embiid has a sore knee. He re-injured or injured, whatever you want to call, uh, one of his knees. And we're going to see how that affects him and how that affects the, the Sixers going forward. Because I would be very curious to see whether they advance as far as everybody wants them to. On whether they can match up well with New York or Atlanta, it's going to look like Atlanta. Uh, I'm looking forward to that second round series just to see. Uh, Atlanta's got a really strong offense. They've got a guard that should give Philly some issues. I'm looking forward to it. Brooklyn, Boston. Brooklyn is up 3-1 to one in their series. Uh, that series, is also it also feels like it's over. Uh, there is just no matching up. With KD, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, especially for a Celtics team. They don't have Jalen Brown. Their bench is awful. And frankly, their big rotation is awful too. Uh, Robert Williams didn't play in this last game. He's probably their best option. Tristan Thompson kind of looks like a shell of himself. He always seems to look like that, especially around this time when it's not the 2016 playoffs. Uh, and that's a, that's a big, big thing for a team like Boston where 500 heading to heading into the season and they just look like a complete mess. <laughs> that's a, it wasn't all just because of the injuries. Like they did get hit hard by the injury bug, but they still have a lot of draft picks to answer for a lot of players that they've selected that could turn into a fringe starter here, a an eighth man there. A lot of them are going to wash out of the league or at least maybe need a change of scenery to find their role elsewhere. They've drafted a lot of role players around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And I wonder what their next step is because they can't exactly get out of that Kemba contract. He has two more years left on his deal. And just looks like a complete shell. Just just not himself anymore, and it's too bad. They're probably trading Marcus Smart in the offseason. 
That would be my guess. Milwaukee and Miami. Uh, Milwaukee swept that series four games to none. Uh, it's fun to like. It's it's fun to root for Milwaukee because I see them sort of as Denver East, uh, more so than like Indiana has been talked about as Denver East before because of their uh, because of their similarities with Sabonis and just sort of being a mid market city that doesn't get a lot of attention. Milwaukee's a lot like that too, but I think Denver has graduated onto that Milwaukee tier at least when they're at full strength. Uh, Denver's got an MVP. Giannis has won two of them. And I think that his mentality and and his willingness to kind of run through that brick wall gave Milwaukee a lot of confidence that when he wasn't running from that matchup against Miami, that gave a lot of people a lift that I think that they needed to kind of get that monkey off their back against the team that eliminated them last year. So it's going to be interesting. Milwaukee, Brooklyn in the second round. What a battle. I'm I'm really interested to hear other people's thoughts on that matchup, but watching Giannis guard KD, uh, watching Chris Middleton like try to match the scoring output of a James Harden or Kyrie Irving, uh, while Giannis has to contend with KD. And then watching Drew Holiday do his best to lock up one of those two guys, uh, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, while also being a scoring threat on the other end. I kind of undersold the the Drew Holiday edition. Uh, I knew that he would be better than Eric Bledsoe, of course. But to the degree that he's been better, I didn't really expect it. And then they've sort of filled in the gaps, and adding P.J. Tucker has really helped too. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, That is probably going to be the series of the playoffs, unless there's another one that we haven't seen quite yet. But Milwaukee, Brooklyn should be a lot of fun. And then New York and Atlanta. This is one that I didn't really get the, the hype for because I thought that Atlanta was just a better team than New York. Uh, New York, they don't have playoff players. I think it's pretty clear that at least at this point, Julius Randle isn't really a playoff player. His game hasn't really translated, taking a lot of difficult shots that just haven't dropped. And the Knicks, with how much they rely on two bigs, and especially a traditional setup, the Hawks have been able to spread them out, and Trey Young has really killed them. Uh, I don't see that changing going back to New York. But I will be watching that game five in New York to see if Trey Young can eliminate them on their home floor after being called the villain. That's going to be interesting. Okay, moving west, Utah, Memphis. Utah, they went up 3-1 in their series tonight. Uh, Memphis, they put up a really valiant effort, but Utah just has too much firepower. They've won three straight games now. It doesn't look very good for Memphis. John Morant continues to impress, and as do many of their role players. Uh, D'Anthony Melton had a really good stretch tonight, but I don't know what their next move is. It's going to be really curious, going to be really interesting to see whether they decide to make a splash, whether they just develop from within, uh, whatnot, because the West playoff picture is only going to get more convoluted going forward because as Zion Williamson continues to improve, as Golden State gets back and healthier with Clay, 
Uh, it's going to be interesting. It would not surprise me in the slightest if Memphis, if they didn't make a move, were still in the playoff play-in tournament next year. Like, is anybody from this Western Conference playoff picture falling out of it? Unless Denver uh, beats Portland and Damian Lillard asks for a trade. That's the only thing I could really consider. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But impressed with Memphis. They, they're kind of at the stage that Denver was a couple years ago. Maybe three years ago. We'll see whether they can advance beyond that. Phoenix. Lakers tied at 2-2. Anthony Davis' sore knee, or no, he's it's got a sore right groin, I'm pretty sure that is. They initially categorized it as a knee injury, but turns out it's a groin pull. Uh, if Phoenix wins this series and the Lakers lose, first of all, I'll skip around the yard a little bit and, uh, and do a little bit of a jig. Uh, after that, though, it's going to be interesting to see what Phoenix looks like because Chris Paul, like he's the shoulder isn't getting any better. Like maybe, maybe it is, but I can't imagine that that's getting super improved with heavy load of uh, of playoff play. So I wonder what that's going to look like going forward. But they do have the talent to win, and it's been pretty clear that I think DeAndre Ayton's been their best player in the series. He's been awesome to watch and. I think that Denver would be in a really tough situation that if they even if they did advance and even if they did face Phoenix, they still have to play a team that plays spread pick and roll pretty well. And they also have to contend with a better center in DeAndre Ayton, who's better than Yusuf Nurkic. So we're going to see. We're going to see what Denver does. And then the Clippers and Dallas. This one is funny because everybody wrote off the Clippers after they went down 2-0 and then the Clippers stormed back and looked like world beaters for the next two. It wouldn't surprise me if Dallas won game five and then the Clippers won game six and then they're playing another game seven over there because Dallas is good enough and Luka is good enough that they could absolutely hit some shots and make make some noise and if the Clippers don't hit as many shots, then they're sunk. Because they're still a jump-shooting team that's been hitting jump shots really well these last two games. The problem is that they don't really see the Mavericks in front of them right now. The Mavericks are beaten and battered uh, on the perimeter and against with, with guys that could face Kawhi Leonard. Maxi Kleba's injured, but... Uh, I, I sort of think that the Clippers are going to win this now because they just have all of the momentum and I just trust. Trust is a funny word, um, <laughs> especially with the Clippers, but I think that the Clippers will win. I think they will advance over Luka and the Mavericks because I trust their stars more than I trust Kristaps Porzingis to do anything of consequence. That is what I will say. Um, It's tough. Because if you're looking at this from Denver's perspective, you're going to see Utah, either Phoenix or LA, and then probably the Clippers advance in this postseason. If Denver were to advance, that means that on the other side of the bracket, uh, they'd have two teams that they beat in the playoffs last year, in the bubble last year. It wasn't a fluke that they beat them. I think the longer that those teams 
play, the longer that they continue to prove how good that they are, the better Denver's bubble record looks in retrospect. If the Lakers pull this out, and then they, it's the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Mavericks, and the Clippers, or not the Mavericks, the Jazz, I think Denver looks great because they matched up with all those teams and they might do some stuff against the Lakers in the second round. I just don't think that they will. But if they did get the, if they did get the Suns, I would be curious. I don't think that like, I don't think that I would pick the Nuggets over the Suns. I don't think that I would. But if I was told that Will Barton would be back and healthy for that, I was told that P.J. Dozier would be back and healthy for that. I feel a lot better about it than I do right now. We're going to see, though. Cross that bridge when you come to it, of course. Uh, Denver still has to win two of the next three. And it's going to be tough against the Blazers, who are fighting for their lives. Like, literally, their organizational future. So we'll see what happens. But either way, let's take another break. When we come back, let's talk about the league at large. Let's talk about the future of the league. And what we're going to see. We'll be right back. All right, final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. It really struck me over the course of these playoffs that with what we were seeing, especially in the first week, um, Luka Doncic dominating against the Clippers, Giannis dominating against Miami, Embiid dominating because there isn't a player big enough to defeat him, and then Jokic dominating against Portland. It's before game four, of course, but I think Jokic will bounce back. All of those guys are international. I know Embiid went to Kansas, but he was born in Cameroon, African. Like he he is an international player. I, I would consider him international. If you didn't, then you'd be crazy. Luca, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. I think it's very possible that those players are the top four players in the NBA within the next three years or so. I think you gotta wait for LeBron and KD and Steph and Harden and guys like that to really fall off. But you can make a pretty good argument about it now. And I think in a couple of years' time, especially, you'll be able to make a great argument as long as everybody stays healthy, namely Embiid. All of those guys dominate in such interesting ways, and they're such different and unique players. Luca, one of the most skilled and confident and brash young wings that we've ever seen come into the league. Like, he may be more of a trash talker than LeBron James was when he came in. Like, he's doing Larry Bird stuff. He's doing Michael Jordan stuff. He's doing some very, very impressive things. And will he be as good as those guys? I don't know. Probably not. But the fact that you can ask that question and feel pretty good about it, or at least not like not know definitively what the answer will be. That's a credit to Luca for sure. Giannis, back-to-back MVPs, helped Milwaukee get out to like he like the fact that he helped Eric Bledsoe 
not look like a complete sham for most of the seasons that they played together. I think it's a credit. He's had to prop up a lot of guys that aren't perfect, that aren't great pieces. And now that they've built a great team around him, the couple veterans and PJ, uh, not PJ Dozier, PJ Tucker, Brooke Lopez, that, that feature his strengths a little bit. Uh, Drew Holiday, who just is one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. You pair those guys together with Chris Middleton and then with Giannis. You've got a team that could be really, really good and is really, really good already. That's just knocking on the door of contention. And they might win a title this year. I know a lot of people have picked them. Joel Embiid made a ton of improvements this year, mostly as a mid-range and long-range shooter. Somebody who has completely progressed is com- is doing his best to try to navigate double teams and figure out how to pass from the post and things like that, but is making a lot of good reads and is making a lot of progress there. As long as he stays healthy, there are very few players that are as dominant as Joel Embiid. As, as dominant as he's ever been, frankly. And then you've got Jokic. Nuggets fans don't need to hear anything more about Jokic, but let me clue you in. He's not going away. This version of Nikola Jokic, like, it might relax a little bit over the course of the next couple of years. As guys like Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, when he gets healthy, as those guys continue to take more and more responsibility because they get better and better, Jokic might ease up on the accelerator a little bit, but the fact is, is that when he wants to be, he is the best player in the NBA. Can be the most dominant force in the NBA, both from a brute force and finesse nature. And he will pick teams apart better than anybody that we have really ever seen at that size. All of those guys play the game in drastically different ways, shaping the future of the league. A lot of people want to make Luke of the face, and he's got a good face for it. Like he he speaks English well enough. Um he's a a wing. He's a guy that's not a big man that he's a little bit more relatable than a lot of other stars. Like, he's going to be the face of the NBA in all likelihood. Like, I don't think that they would make Jokic the face. But hey, you win a title or two, you never know. We're going to see what happens with this with this new guard, with this future of the league, whether it's those four guys, whether it's somebody else. I don't think it's Anthony Davis. I don't think it's Kawhi Leonard. I'd at least be surprised. There's going to be a lot of give and take between the old guard and the new. It's already happening in the playoffs, and it's going to happen over the course of the next couple of years. The old guard is still very prevalent. LeBron James, still kicking. Still probably the best player in the NBA. Anthony Davis, right at his side. Wonder if that continues to make the Lakers a threat. It probably will, even long after LeBron is gone. The Lakers will still find a way, because they're the Lakers. The Nets, with KD, Harden, Kyrie, all three of those guys, like they're still going to be really, really solid players for the next few years. It's going to be hard to beat a team like that, 
Already is. Kawhi, Paul George, they've shown a lot of backbone over these last two games. Played really, really well. If they get the proper team around them, they could win a title. They could win a title this year. Because they're very, very good. We're going to see how good they are and whether they still have the composure to be able to do it. But Kawhi's already a finals MVP. Like, he's not really going anywhere. Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. That team ain't going anywhere for a while either. Could be a couple years still. Maybe it's more than that, but for at least the next couple years, I think, we're still going to be talking about Golden State. Still going to be talking about how dominant Steph Curry is. Maybe even long after that. We're going to see. Even CP3. I know he's anchoring kind of a young Phoenix team. But CP3 is continuing to do stuff as well. And his ability to do so, this like at this age, is very, very impressive. He's having that John Stockton career. I think if you're placing futures odds on who in the NBA in the next five years is going to win the most rings, I think you could make a case for a lot of different people for a lot of different teams. Over the next five years, I think the safest bet, because they're already in tow, is Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. They might win one this year. They might win one next year. After that, you never know. Especially with that group, because they could decide that they just don't want to do it anymore. They want to go their own separate ways. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just want to play there for a few years and see how many titles they can win. I don't know. We'll see. How many of the four international stars can win rings? Is Luka going to win a ring? Is Giannis going to win one? Will Embiid win one? Will Jokic win one? Will any of them win multiple? I think those are fair questions about the, the direction of the league at large. How is the NBA going to market these teams? Especially as LeBron, Steph, the Nets guys. As those guys phase out, what is the NBA going to build their brand around? How are they going to market this going forward? Because you might have Jokic winning two M- or two MVPs, two titles as the leader of the Nuggets. And the NBA may not be ready for that. How many come from the old guard? How many of the these rings are going to be from guys that are still kicking, that have been the stars for a long time? History says that it's probably not going to be many, but what if it's two or three? What if LeBron gets one this year, then Katie Harden, Kyrie get one next year, and then Kawhi and Paul George team up in different places? Let's say Kawhi goes to Miami, plays with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. That's possible. What if he goes back to Toronto? Guess that's possible. I have no idea. Could there be a new super team that's formed? Kind of like that. Kind of like Miami. That would be my guess. Like, I think Miami is the best candidate for it because they're the super team team. Could it be Boston? Could they try to do their best to 
free up as much space around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I know the Boston media has been circling Carl Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic in free agency in like 2024. Maybe that happens. Maybe Cat decides he wants to go somewhere. Maybe he's the next guy to be elevated into this conversation, a la Anthony Davis, before he won a ring. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot of great players here. And I'm just wondering where Denver falls into this hierarchy. Because I think that a healthy Denver Nuggets team, Murray fully healthy, heading into the 2022 playoffs next year, I would give Denver high odds over the course of the next few years. I think that they're a great team in the making. They're a great team now. And as they have to survive without Murray, as they find ways to develop the rest of their game and then hope to include him going forward, I think they'll become a better team because of it. But we're going to see. We're going to see what ultimately happens. Denver, I would give them high odds. I'd give Brooklyn the highest odds for now, followed by the Clippers. Because from what I see from them, as long as they don't falter in this next couple days, like I think that Kawhi will resign. Paul George will still be there. They'll still get veterans that want to play with those guys in Los Angeles. We're going to see. We're going to see what happens. I am sort of at a loss for where this league is going to go in these next few years. Because so much of Denver, not Denver, so much of the NBA has been about LeBron James. It's been about the Warriors. It's been about what KD's doing. Now, I don't know where they pivot from here because those guys are getting old. Maybe Curry, maybe that crew, maybe they make it work over these next couple years, and they're still the story. I mean, Steph Curry is still one of the most fun players in the NBA, so it wouldn't surprise me. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to give that up, especially when he's the second most popular player in the NBA right now, and like the leader of the next generation for young athletes. Very curious stuff. I wonder how Michael Porter fits into this. I wonder how Jamal Murray, a healthy Jamal Murray, fits into this. And I wonder if there's a team that I'm forgetting that I haven't talked about. Maybe there's a super team that I just haven't really given credence to. We'll see. We'll see. I am very curious to talk about it. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Bounced around the league, didn't spend too much time on Game 5, but uh, we will be back on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, with a pod following Game 5. Whatever happens, I'll have a pod up on it. Should be fun. Should be very interesting. I'm sorry that it's on NBA TV. Go watch it at the DNVR bar. Support those guys make for a full crowd. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys very soon.
Thank you.